Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey, everybody. This is Tara Lynn, and I'm going to start us off with a high five. I had an injury last week that I talked about on my Instagram page. And let's, I'm just going to summarize and say that I am so grateful that I can walk. Like, I came very scarily close to not being able to walk again. And I, every day when I wake up this entire last week, I have literally like wiggled my fingers and my toes and been like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that I can wiggle my fingers and my toes. And, even walking, like, I mean, healing from an injury is never fun, but, um, it's like pale, like the, um, the inconvenience and the pain of it. It almost, it doesn't even feel like it's important in the scheme of things that like I came so close to really having some, like to being paralyzed and I'm just so grateful. So it's a high five for walking. That's my high five that I can walk, that I can move my limbs. And I am just so, I mean, I feel like Every once in a while you have moments in your life that are really, really eye-opening and they are gifts because they give you clarity and so much gratitude. So high five to my feet and my hands and being able to walk. And your body that it can heal that way. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Yeah, and Terrell, you've said a few times, like, it's such a small bone, but yet, you know, I'm sleeping so much, It's you know, it takes a lot to heal it. And it is crazy to think that such a small bone has such a huge impact. And I feel like you don't realize how much little pieces of your body do until it gets hurt. And then it's like, holy cow, so much of my body is dependent on this tiny bone, you know? Yeah. Vertebrae in particular, they're just, they're important little guys and they do a lot. They do so much for us. I mean, if you think about how our vertebrae move, it's just absolutely amazing that our, that they move like they do. It's really cool. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, yeah, we are so glad that you are, that you're okay too. Um, I mean, okay is a relative term, that you are able to walk. Okay is a great word. Okay is a really good adjective. Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. Well, mine is kind of a facepalm, I think. Again, I feel like most of mine I feel are either, they're kind of both. It's facepalm and high five. We just moved Emmett into a big boy bed which was exciting and fun because it's cute to see him. He looks so small in this bed, even though, you know, it's just a twin bed, but he just is so tiny in it. And he's been able to get out of his crib for honestly a really long time. Um, it was funny cause he totally physically could, but now mentally he realizes this, you know, these walls actually mean nothing to me. And so he's been getting out for a while and he's, you know, he's almost three. So it, it was really just time to do it, but, um, we officially put it in, put in the bed and it was funny. Cause actually the first night he didn't get out or anything, even though he's been getting out of his crib for forever. I think it was more the fact that he didn't now have a cage around him that he's like, this almost takes away the, the fun of getting out, you know, like the forbidden fun of getting out. So in some ways it kind of helped that first night. We'll see what happens. But some of the downsides are just with him being able to get out is that now I can't totally control when my morning started. Cause before, if I heard him awake, I knew I still had 
sometimes, you know, 30, 45 minutes before, you know, because he would just play in his crib for a while and I could hear him, but I knew that he was in there. Whereas now when he gets up, I mean, he'll just come into my room. And I know that for most of you with kids, it's like, well, yeah, duh. But for me, I'm like, oh man, like this kind of takes away just a part of my morning that I controlled, you know? (laughs) Oh, and guys, I have to add this. As right as we're about to record, Caitlin is walking with her computer from her couch to her garage and she's whispering like she's in a scary movie she's like now they can get out i have to go somewhere safe (laughs) and then she went into her car and buckled herself in the seat you know (laughs) so caitlin's in her car right now because of this new development in your life yeah yeah it's it's an interesting problem i know for everybody else who has kids like this it's like yeah well welcome to the real world but for me i'm like man this is just starting I have a note so I'm in my closet right now and I had to put a note because luckily my older kids can read it but I had to tell like my younger like my five-year-old and because I don't know if he'd stop to like read something on a door to be like guys I'm in my closet do not come into my closet for any reason in the morning don't come in the bathroom don't come in my closet just stay out but two-year-old you can't tell them you can't tell them yeah no it's true the first kid is so like that transition from the crib to the big bed, it's a real stress. Yeah, I feel like our advice, our find the magic sleep advice is keep your kid in a crib as long until they are scaling the walls. Just, just go with the crib <laughs> until there's yeah, no the hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Embrace the crib. Okay. I have a high five and it is to... Of course, it's to summer. Of course, it is. Um, it has not been seasonably warm here for summer, but it has been on and off nice. I feel like one day it's actually like weirdly like snowing, and then one day it's like ninety degrees. So I don't know what that means. But yeah, just having the kids out and not having a schedule is. I know that then when it's like towards the end of summer, I'm it's going to be fun to like have a schedule again. But right now the change is really fun. Um, I think out of the two, I probably thrive more on the not schedule. Like that works better for my personality. And so I like that there's no like rushing and hurrying in the mornings and we can just kind of hang out. And the, my kids are just loving the freedom of just playing for the entire day. (laughs) So High five to that for as long as it's a high five. I'm sure we'll come back and be like, yeah, this is too much not scheduled. So, but it's good right now. Oh, it's good. I know summer is the best. It is the best. Okay. So today we are talking about a book that is, I guess, heavy on the heart a little bit and makes you feel like there's, you know, a lot of big problems that can be tricky to solve. I guess this book, it's the name of it is Stolen Focus. The author is Johan Hari. And for me, it brings a lot of things to light in our um, culture and in our environment that um, are hurting our attention. So basically his um, mission with the book is to bring to our attention the things that are damaging our ability to focus <clears throat> and also the bring to light that a lot of the solutions that were offered with 
our attention and our focus, specifically when it comes to like technology, um, we see as a personal failure, like we don't have the willpower over our devices. Um, and you know, we've mentioned things on our podcast, like digital detoxes and, um, you know, like making personal effort to reclaim our focus. And this book is different in that it does offer those solutions as things you can do, but also that there's a larger truth that's more disturbing in a lot of ways, but that our focus is being stolen by these external forces that are really powerful. And it's, it's left us in this uniquely vulnerable place where there's like these big corporations and companies that their job and like their, their focus is to take our attention for their profit. And so it's really interesting. Um, Johan goes into 12 roots or causes of this attention crisis. And so we wanted to tell you the 12 that he goes into in the book. And this is one of those books that, um, there's a lot of information, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's really wide ranging because what he brings to our attention is that this, this isn't just a crisis of like, oh, I need to put my phone in the basket this morning. So I'm not tempted to look at it. It's a giant problem and it's affecting the upcoming generations. It's affecting us. And it's like just big. So we're going to tell you the 12 things that he's identified as pieces of the puzzle. And then we're just going to kind of talk through the ones that we, that stood out to us. Um, And hopefully there is a little inspiration to help you make small, small changes. And if you're in a place that you feel like tackling something big, Johan does um, provide a lot of resources in this book for people who want to take on a cause or like in your community want to help out in some way. So let's list out the 12 first, and then we'll dive into the the little tips we have. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and read what they are. So starting with increase in speed, switching and filtering, um, crippling second is crippling of our flow states, a rise of physical and mental exhaustion Four, collapse of sustained reading five disruption of mind wandering Six, rise of technology that can track and manipulate manipulate you. Um, and then the seventh one, he actually just has a whole, th- he like just goes on more about, there's a lot, there's like, it's worth two parts in that one. <laughs> there's, there's just so much tech out there. Mm-hmm. The whole market of they want our attention and there's really big powers behind it trying to get our attention. So he actually get, he gives that two full reasons just that one (laughs) one (laughs) part two yeah uh eight rise of cruel optimism uh nine deteriorating diets ten rising pollution eleven rise of adhd and twelve physical and psychological confinement of our children so Like Felicia mentioned, we're going to kind of talk about some of the ones that really stood out to us and things that we can do in our own lives 
as well as in our communities, they can kind of help with some of that. Um, one of the biggest things that he starts with is he talks, he calls it juggling or task switching. And we're all familiar with this. I think when he started talking about this, I think it's something that all of us have been a part of. And he talks about why it's so uh, harmful to us and to our brains and to our focus. So task switching is, or juggling is that idea of just what it sounds like, where we're going from thing to thing to thing. And I think with the rise and the way our technology is built, it is so, so easy to do. So he talks about, there was a researcher that he talked with that said, we have deluded ourselves into thinking that we can focus on more than one, maybe two tasks. But the truth is our brains can only focus on one, maybe two tasks at a time. And so to think that we can do what we're really doing is just juggling really quickly from different tasks. So you're checking your email, then you're checking your text, then you're working on a paper, then you go back to something on social media and you're doing all of this. And it's harmful to our brains because our brains aren't able to sustain a longer period of focus because we're continually juggling. And he gave some statistics that when I heard these, and I think you, you both felt the same, it was staggering to hear it. Partly because I think we've all been one of these statistics, if not more. So some of them that I think is just really, I don't know, I think it's poignant to recognize. Some of the things he says is they discovered that on average, a student would switch tasks one in every 65, once every 65 seconds. And they would spend an average amount of time that they focus on any one thing is about 19 seconds. So how can anybody get anything done if our average focus is 19 seconds on something. These were college students that he's referring to. Um, another one is that an average person person picks up their phone 2,617 times per 24 hours. That's a lot of times. That's a lot. Uh, three hours and 15 minutes a day on our phones. An office worker stays on task for three minutes before being distracted. Um, and then one of these... I thought was so interesting. It said they actually did these studies on people who they had people. It was actually at HP, I think Hewlett Packard. And, um, they had people focus on, they had one group focus on a task and they weren't interrupted with anything. And they said, just go about your things and don't be interrupted. And then they took another group of people and they said, go about your tasks, but you're going to be interrupted with emails and texts throughout the time that you're doing, which is how a lot of us operate often. And, then they took their IQ at the end of this period, like they had them take, do an I, IQ test. And the people who had been interrupted during their working time scored 10 points lower than the people who hadn't been interrupted, which to give you some perspective, uh, Johan Hari, the author, points out that if you were to smoke cannabis, if you were to smoke pot, your IQ would go down in the short term five points. So you're actually worse off juggling tasks, then like you'd be better off being stoned doing it, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think that you're that impaired when we think that we can just juggle between tasks and still maintain a sense of focus. So I think we're all kind of deluding ourselves into thinking that we can. That was you know? one of my favorite research studies of the whole book because, and that's also one of the ones he shares with Oprah, which is a fabulous interview, by the way, he, she does two with him. And it just makes me laugh so hard because, I mean, here we are thinking we're so smart, right? So smart. All the <laughs> Being able time. to just manage so many things. And I love pointing out that isn't that how everybody works? Like you're working and 
then you're also managing text messages and emails. When I say everybody, we all know that that's not helpful. And yeah, that's what everybody does across the whole Western world, right? And literally, it's worse than being stoned <laughs> for, for our abilities and our IQ. I don't know. I think it, I thought that was like one of the funniest of all the research thing. That here we are thinking we're just being so efficient, and yet we are plummeting. Like if we actually look at what we're getting done. So if the whole point is people do multitasking because they think it's efficient, and turns out it's not. It's, in fact, the opposite of efficient. So even if you're taking out, enjoying your life and being able to use your brain well and being present, which I think are more motivating factors for increasing our attention and maybe not being so distracted in our lives. So to me, those are like higher things of like, I want to live present. I want to not be scattered and chaotic all the time. You know, those are reasons to me. But even if you're using it for the reason of multitasking for the purpose of getting so much done, guess what? you get less done. <laughs> so I just think it's funny. It just shows it's just not helpful all around. There's nothing helpful about multitasking in any way, which honestly, guys, let's just liberate ourselves. Let's just say, you know what, then I'm not going to try it anymore. If I'm going to work on something, as I say this, ugh, ooh, am I really saying this? This I sounded really like empowered there for a second. Can I really do that? <laughs> Can, can I can I turn off all my notifications and just work for an hour? Because if you guys ever tried to do that, something starts happening to your brain. Your brain's like, whoa, hold on. I have my thumbies to scroll on something. It's weird. It's a kind of a weird uh, sensation, but I think it's definitely worth. I think it's worth trying. I, I'm committing to you guys for this next yeah. week. Setting aside like when I'm actually working. Well, actually, no. You know what? This is a side tangent, but I think this is important. I'm going to say this right now for focus. So I, this last week, have not been able to do any of the things I normally do. I can't even lift more than five pounds. So I am helpless. And I have realized how much of my identity is wrapped up in doing things. And a few days ago, I could feel like my mental health, like going down, like my actual mental health. And so I like, to myself, I was like, hold on a second. I know what to do here. Like these, this is the stuff that I'm obsessed with. It's one thing saying I apply these things to my life and I'm loving what's happening. But what about when I'm not loving what's happening? And so I like wrote a list of like, okay, recommit to my miracle morning. Even though I'm sleeping a little later, like I still have plenty of time to do it because I'm not doing anything else. Making sure I'm recommitting to that and making sure I'm not numbing out with TV. So my rule was I'm not going to watch any TV when I'm by myself because I want to just be present. I've started reading more, which is amazing. Uh, and so that's been fabulous. And then one of my other things was I can feel in the silence sometimes. I, do, I just want to scroll. Like I just want to numb out on, for me, it's social media. And so I just made the rule for this week. Like I wasn't even committing for more than a week. I was just like, I am not going to, I'm going to post information. Like I like post it because I knew my friends would want to know specifics about my healing and my injury or whatever. The friends who I don't see often. But other than that, like I don't, I haven't even scrolled, like no scrolling at all. And it's amazing how the itch, the itch though is still there. So it's only been like three days since I made that commitment. It was Sunday that I realized, Ooh, like things are going downhill. But it, it helps. So the cool thing is about all of this stuff is it really does help. And your brain still feels the itch though. Like again, for everybody, it's a different itch. Maybe it's just an amount on TV. Maybe it's 
Like whenever we actually try to focus on something, you're going to feel that little bit of an itch. And Johan Hari actually said that he, when he started getting into this idea, so this is a guy, he's really smart. He has this incredible education. I can't remember which colleges he went to, but they're high, they're important ones. And he said that he sat down to read a book and was like, I can't focus on this book. And it, I mean, a series, well, and a series of events led him to realize we were having this attention crisis. And he went literally offline for, was it six months when he went to that mm-hmm. province? Like town? no, no, even he had phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had like no, no smartphone. His laptop that he was writing on didn't have access to the internet. And he said, literally, I mean, it was like, it was like an addiction where he's like, it wasn't like I was walking around loving that everything was so, I was so free. He's like, I look at people's phones and be like, can I please borrow your phone because I need to log on to social media and like get the hit of dopamine you get from likes and scrolls from scrolling. And it's interesting because if you, if you go without, you can feel your brain being like, whoa, hold on. And for me, it's my thumbs. I can like feel it like, oh my gosh. And even for my, like, it's made me think for my daughter and me and her have had a conversation about this recently. She has nothing on her phone. She doesn't have Safari. She doesn't have social media. Nothing. Like, she can text. And that's about it. But still, there is something that happens when you have a phone in your hand all the time. It's like when you try to focus on something, as soon as your mind goes to this place of quiet, it starts reaching for stuff. And you have a phone in your hand. So even if it's just to stare at your phone to see if you've got a text message, it's still a distraction all of it is still a distraction. So for me, which this goes along with his different points of mind wandering, like we, as humans, we're meant to have our mind wander, right? Like where we just go, like we're, we're daydreaming, right? All sorts of cool, amazing things have happened in the world because somebody has been daydreaming, but we can't allow ourselves to daydream if we just put a light in front of our face as soon as our mind starts to wander, right? So yeah. there's all sorts of stuff to me. And also another thing ooh, on the screen topic that really blew my mind in this book was that, did you guys know that reading on a screen, specifically on a small screen, that our brains, this, I want to know the science behind this more, but our brains read a little and then it's like a circular, like we read in a circle. It's kind of more scanning just because that's why our brains can do it. That's the way we do it on a screen. So even when we're reading a book on a screen, we're retaining much, much, much less, which to me, as I heard that, I was like, because I am an old fashioned, I mean, like I am a book, I love paper books. And my husband always laughs at me because he's like, well, good thing somebody in the world still likes real books (laughs) because nobody does anymore. But, and you know, he's very sweet about it. But, but for me, I love it because our brains actually comprehend better when we're reading on an actual page. And I even, I mean, even if you look at news, like reading one newspaper, you're getting information and you're not circulating in this chaotic cyclone. We've all been there with news, right? You start getting worked up and it's frothing you and you're just like in a whirlwind because you can just click after click after click going down these rabbit holes that take us into weird, weird, weird places, which goes into a whole nother point of the science behind our attention and how technology gets us in a way that no newspaper ever could. Totally. Yeah. And I think, no, I, I think it's interesting, like before we move into the technology piece and, and all that, like how, like what you're saying, I think a lot of us were like, okay, you know, I'll take a break from like, 
the fun stuff because that's what's distracting me on my phone. It's like Candy Crush and social media and like Pinterest or whatever. And it's interesting as I've experimented since listening to this book, even when I take off the in quotes fun stuff, like you're saying, like your daughter, she has no, she doesn't have any of these like fun things that are the supposed distractors, but just the perception that there's a thing that's going to give us a task that's something to do in that moment. It's going to light up and we're going to be able to do something, check something off. It's almost like a feeling of like, I'm doing a task. It's like a, you know, it's, I think it's rooted in our like get it done culture and our to-do list culture and our like capitalism, like all of that. It's like, you know what? I'm super important that I'm responding to all these text messages or emails, or I'm answering these calls. And like, I had this realization that it's a collective shift and it can start in our little groups of our families, our friends, where the expectation isn't that I'm going to call, text, Marco Polo, you back right in that second. The, I am honoring your attention and your real life. And like, I feel like I bring this up all the time, but like, if we go back to our parents or our grandparents' generation where it's like, you know, we might show up at this place and you might not be there. And we still will go on with this day. Like we were supposed to meet somewhere and we didn't have this like half hour text chain that was distracting us. And maybe you're not there when I get there. Or, you know, I'll talk to you on the phone in in a couple days. And it seems so ancient, but then we realize that it's all of those things too that are stealing our attention. It's not just the social media. It's not just the games on the phone. It's it's just the, like you're saying, the accessibility of interaction at our fingertips that that distracts us so much, like constantly, especially if you're a parent. I feel right. like I feel like a little part-time job in parenting is correspondence with many humans yeah. around our neighborhood. <laughs> Amen. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It is crazy. And I think I totally resonated with that, that my push is for productivity sometimes. And so I think, oh, I'm waiting in line. I'm going to, yeah, respond to this email or sometimes even, you know, look at a document that I have in Google Drive or something. Like I think about ways. So yeah, even though it might not always be the fun thing, I think sometimes I do push to, to use this time really efficiently, this five minutes that I have, which I'm not saying that that in itself is bad, but I think when we fill up every spare moment that we have with quote unquote, using our time efficiently, productively, like productively, we then lose out on this mind wandering that as Terilyn had mentioned and what Johan talks about, I love this because this, we think of mind wandering as actually a loss of attention, but it's not, it's actually a really crucial part of our minds being able to focus because our minds kind of need that time to just openly wander. And as, as Talon mentioned, it's, there are huge breakthroughs that actually can come through mind wandering because it allows our brain to, it almost, it allows our brain to connect thoughts. Whereas when we're always focused on something, which is something good, and we don't take our, take a step back just to let our minds wander. Our minds don't have that time to make big connections on big picture things. Anyway, I thought that was really cool that Mind wandering actually is a really crucial part of being able to focus when I don't think we usually think about it that way. And I thought 
this is something that I, I don't think about a lot because I am, sometimes I do think, oh, I need to use this time efficiently because my kids are strapped in the car seat and they, but I can just be still and let my mind wander. And I think it's important for us to, to think about that throughout our day. Are we giving ourselves that time to wander? And I think a few ways that we can do it is adjusting your notifications, turning them off. Because if anybody's ever gotten a new phone, your notifications come all the way on. So actually taking the time to turn off your notifications is something that a lot of people don't do. And he talked about a statistic with that. Yeah. He's so that's one small way. Two thirds of people never change a notification sitting on your phone, which means you're getting a notification for literally almost every app that you have. Oh my gosh. Which is insanity. You can't focus with that. I mean, yeah. And in our, we have a link about, I'll, I'll link it. We have a whole episode about solitude and how what Caitlin was just talking about that time alone with our own minds actually develops a part of our brain needed for social connections. Isn't that fascinating? So we are trading the part of our brain that is required for good, deep social connection. And we're trading it for what false social connection, which one of my favorite points of this entire book is that he actually goes through uh, animals and he has this whole thing on animals and how people have to medicate animals when they are not in their like fulfilling their natural instincts and the whole point is we as humans have these natural instincts we have these brains that have been around for many 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 years way before technology and these bodies and we have instincts for time outside time in the wild true connection the satisfaction of making something with our hands all those kinds of things are in us deeply so when we have these now these worlds where we're living in constant stress of the bear around the corner, but there is no bear. It's the emails that we haven't answered. And we're living in this chronic stress response. We're not having good social connections because we're not allowing the part of our brain that develops that, which is solitude, into our lives. We are hurried, which also decreases social connection. And we're not having stillness that people throughout history have had even if you're working all day long in a field you still have stillness in your mind sometimes right and then we wonder why we are constantly dissatisfied with the faults efforts to the false things of those we're having false connection through online stuff we're having faults even even the satisfaction of running from a bear we're having the faults of that it's just the cortisone in our own blood because we're stressed out we are i mean he gives the example of going to this to graceland this amazing place and people are looking at it through their ipads and this guy looks up and he's like look if you turn the ipad you can see the corner of this jungle room and he's like you can actually just put the ipad down and look at the actual room like we have real things all around us as humans and yet we are choosing the faults the faults instead and then we're wondering why we're walking around dissatisfied all the time to me that it like gave me the chills when he was talking about first of all in animals how he sees that in animals and then when he applied it to humans for me i was like yes of course we have these needs and these desires and these instincts that for connection and outside and all those things and sunlight on our faces and yet we go in tanning beds because we don't spend enough time outside in the sun. And I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to just, that was just, that was just off the, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to criticize people for whatever they do with tanning beds. All I'm saying is that we are filled with a whole life of options for false fulfillment 
And then it just doesn't satisfy us, right? For me, it was just like, yes, I want real. Like, that's what I want. I want real. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's fascinating when we look and when we look at our kids I think we can really really see that come out a lot yeah yeah I was gonna say I think the implications for our kids are frightening because they're they're starting with this like us talking about this we had childhoods free of technology completely free of technology like what Saturday morning cartoons sometimes and so like if we look at our kids they're growing up without boredom, mind wandering, free play where they have nothing on their, their schedule. And this, you know, this has a lot of reasons like as technology, it's also this rise in like a competitive childhood where they need to be in activities all the time. And there, there's a lot of, a lot of things, but what it comes down to is, yeah, they're, they're not having this mind wandering free play, um, you know, flow state, basically, they're not getting in these like flow states in their play. And something I thought was really interesting is that um, the same as maybe we don't value doing nothing as adults, because it's not like checking something off or getting something done or learning a skill or whatever. I think that same um, thing applies to kids playing. I think that um, as adults, we we put value on our kids learning and doing tasks and like, here's this craft project and here's how we kick a soccer ball. And, and so like, we're checking these things off. But when we actually look at just free play, and we have episodes on this, we can link many episodes on this, I'm sure. But as we see kids playing less, we see more anxiety because Why? How do kids learn how to interact with the world through play? So if they're not playing, they don't have confidence in themselves that they can assess a risk like jumping off, you know, something high or that they can handle a social interaction. So their anxiety goes up when they're playing less. We see that they're less intrinsically motivated because why they they never get into a state of play that they're choosing things that they want to do. So. They never have a chance to connect with that focus and flow inside themselves because they're never choosing their activities. They're just like, oh, what do the adults in my life think I should be doing next? That's what I'm going to do. So therefore, they're not developing that intrinsic motivation from their choices. So it's really interesting how something like mind wandering for adults, which looks like boredom and play for kids. It has so many implications in the long run on our personalities. Like as anxiety goes up, our motivation goes down. Then we have teenagers who have no like confidence. It just like builds on itself. Something that we deem as unimportant in kids. So I just think it's so interesting that whole like cycle. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, one of the, a sad, uh, I think story that he gave was in schools, they actually had an example of that some schools were doing this movement where they were going to really make sure that kids did have that time to independently play. And I think they had a full day that they, the teachers and everybody were just going to say, okay, here's the stuff, go ahead and play. And the kids, there were some kids that just picked up and went off and started doing it, but they said actually a big majority of the kids just kind of looked around and sat there and didn't totally know what to do. And 
they one kid just went to sleep and the other one they all you could tell they almost felt lost and when I read that I thought that is so that is a huge disservice that we would give our kids if they have yeah because their focus has been been managed by adults for their whole so if they don't know what to do and even play when that is their natural ability as you said to be able to work through social things to be able to problem solve and just to be able to get in their own flow state and figure out what interests them. Yeah. So I think that was a huge one that I think is so important is realizing that play for our kids is one of the best things that they can be doing. Just unstructured play. Another thing that I think is important to mention is sleep for our kids. And for us, I think a lot of us think almost as sleep as a luxury, but it's essential for our focus that most of us are getting way less sleep. And there's a few reasons as to why one of them is that now we do have the ability. I mean, we we have a really great episode on light, but we before for our ancestors when it got dark, our our body naturally releases these hormones and these different things that help us to naturally wind down. And when it got dark, there wasn't a way to keep lights going. I mean, there was a fire, but that was even a different kind of light that emanates that allows our bodies to get drowsy. Whereas now we can keep the lights on for as long as we want. I mean, then we can have it in our bed with us. We're looking at it. We can look at a screen until three in the morning. And the problem with that is that our brains aren't allowed to release the chemicals that naturally help us wind down. And so therefore we get less sleep in those ways. Um, and And anyway, it really affects then our focus. If our brain, it was really cool because he talks about some of the science that goes into it. But if our brain, sleep sleep is the time that our brain almost, it just gets rid of waste the whole time. It's a very active process. And so if we're not giving our bodies consistent amount of time to sleep, it makes us kind of crazy. And with our kids, how it looks for us, it's exhaustion. It's a lot of different things. But actually for kids, it almost does the opposite. It makes them hyperactive. It makes them really unable to focus. It leads to a lot of um, huge, huge ramifications when we don't allow ourselves to consistently get enough sleep. Yeah. And dang it, I wish I remembered the statistic, but it's it's quite a large amount of sleep that, that kids are missing in comparison to how much they should have for their mm-hmm. bodies. And we'll, we'll try to find that link, but it is it is so interesting how Again, something we can make these small tweaks and have these huge changes. Like you might have a kid who is super hyperactive and distracted and irritable and you can go to the most basic need of sleep and probably see a lot of change. Um, I like I like how he mentioned that that if you're having a, a like a problem with insomnia or like sleep patterns to go camping for a one weekend and he sees that heal a lot of people because you're forced to return to um, nature's like light patterns. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I like it. If you have any, and I know there's a lot, I mean, we all have, it's rampant, right? But if anybody who's listening has children who struggle with ADHD, I would recommend going straight to his chapter, chapter 13. It's all about ADHD and the medicines that are prescribed for it. And he does a really good job in, it's not, it's not like a shaming way at all. He just gives a lot of really good information and a lot of really good suggestions for, and, and a lot of reasons why interesting facts about why ADHD is so high in some countries versus in other countries. And even the effects of learning long-term um, 
using medicine versus using pharmaceuticals versus not using pharmaceuticals, which is fascinating to me. Like when I, I mean, when I read it, it was blowing my mind and I've done a lot of research on the subject, but that long-term learning, it doesn't actually help with, but, but you know, it does change behavior. And, and so a couple things. So I would say if, if anybody, if you have no, any children in your life who are struggling with ADHD, his chapter is really, really helpful. Chapter 13. And honestly, if you just listen to that chapter in the book, I think it'd be really uh, eye-opening and just empowering. It's a really empowering chapter. Like it's not like a you're stuck chapter at, at all. It's really empowering. But a couple things that I love that he pointed out is we just talked about sleep, time outside, screens, mm-hmm. free play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can we, so if you're having any, for me, it's like going back to connection when your kids are acting out. So if something's not going well with your kid's attention, let's come back to the foundation, which is how are they doing on sleep? Are they, are they not having technology close to bedtime? Are they having a bedtime routine that encourages sleep? Are they spending lots and lots of time outside? Are they spending limited, very limited time on screens? We're actually doing a no screen summer this year. We're doing family movies every once in a while and that's it. Nothing else. Not even our Spanish stuff that we we normally do like Spanish lessons and stuff. Nothing this year. I'm like, guys, we're, we're going, we're going analog for the summer because I was feeling really overwhelmed by our schools use laptops and it was, it was just wearing on everybody, mm-hmm. especially me watching them. And it, I felt really, for me as a mother, it was like, this is what we need. So screens and then free play. Are your kids having the, ch- the, the chance to actually build stuff and come up with their own imaginative play and also along the same lines this is it feels like it's opposite but it's also a really important part of childhood chores so you know we've we mentioned before that there's studies out there that say happiness in adult life is connected to having chores as a kid so to me we're going to summer summer is an awesome time to have your kids have chores that they have to do like for me my kids they don't play with friends till the afternoon so they do their chores we do our essentials they have their own free you know their own free play after that and then go with friends in the afternoon, which is wonderful. But we have this really cool opportunity in the summer to have them have responsibility still, right? Still do their chores, still have the satisfaction of getting work done. And then also giving them the space to free play. So they feel like they're like contradictory, but I love it how responsibilities and free play both are really beautiful ingredients to help our kids when they're really struggling. So yeah. those are just some nice kind of coming back to basics, but it's empowering. It's, and it's a good place to start if you're seeing trouble in your kid's behavior. Yeah. And I think what you bring up hit on, a, like start to touch on these macro things that we're talking about that can feel daunting. Like as we were preparing to bring you guys this book, we were like, oh gosh, like some of these things are so big. It feels very overwhelming. So, you know, Terilyn touched on the school's there is a huge, like our school system have big, big problems in how they, how we're set up that is hurting our kids' attention. And that's a giant like macro problem that requires legislative change. It requires like movements of parents caring and wanting to, to make it better. You know, we have, um, our diets and our pollution in our environment that are really hurting our kids' attention and ours. And I like, Johan approaches all of these in the book in 
he lays out the problem and then he does give solutions and organizations that you can be a part of if you feel specifically called to help with any of this. So we're going to, if you're not on our email list, sign up, but we're going to link um, these different places that if you're like, you know, what, I want to get involved with like my school using screens less or making our recesses longer or you know, I want to get involved with like banning this specific substance in food or whatever. Like we'll, we'll link all of these because it, in a lot of ways, it's, it's overwhelming when you realize how much of it is so big that it's out of your little personal hands a lot of the times. And, and anyway, so I, I do feel like he does a good job of empowering us to realize the areas we can make change in. Without in overwhelm. Yeah, without overwhelm. I, yeah. I do think yeah. he does a pretty yeah. good job. And he gives yeah. all sorts of great and examples of times throughout history where this has worked, right? He uses lead as an example. It took people standing up and saying, this isn't working for us. Lead is damaging our brain. Because it's never going to be the people who sell the lead who's going to do that. All the research studies were done by people who make the lead, not make the lead, you know, whatever, put it in the stuff. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until people were like, no, this isn't working for us. And it didn't require revolution and it doesn't require violence and it doesn't require any of those things. It just means you joining a cause and speaking up about it, right? Mm -hmm. And it changed. Like their lead is not common now in children's toys. That's a huge, that's a huge plus, right? In our household. Mm-hmm. And so I love, it. I think it does it in a really empowering way. The thing that spoke to me the most was the attention economy, which is, I mean, so just a quick example of this is as you're just reading through the media. So let's just go to news. They have designed it so that within six clicks, you just go more extreme and extreme and extreme. Because our brains keep focus, our attention is drawn towards extreme stuff. So he said, literally, you're, you're reading about, you know, a river, just something that happened in your local news. And within six clicks, you're now going down some like conspiracy theory route that's so jarring. You know what I mean? And the whole point is, it's just because it's getting our attention and it's not leading us to positive conversations with each other because it's just bringing us all to extremes all the time. And so I love the idea that if, for me, of all the things he talked about, the attention economy, that we need to change the way that, the way even social media works. Like in his, one of his solutions was a, it's a subscription instead of them selling data to people. So they're paying, like everybody's just paying for our eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people who actually have been the founders of like, the founding moments of things like Google and big social media groups who are doing, they're actually already leading the cause for this. So literally it's just a matter of clicking on one of those links that Johan puts in the we'll, the we'll add. But to me, that's when I say doable, people are already doing it and I support it. <laughs> I really, I would love to support that, that I don't want my attention being sold anymore. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There's, there's a better way. And I think something that I love that he says also, he said the ax took like 10,000 years before he even got a handle on it in, you know, human history. And we've only had the internet for like, what do you say? Like 10,000 days or something. Mm-hmm. So it's not even been around for that long. So we can easily make changes at this point. Like we can all just say, this isn't working. This isn't working for us. We don't like the lead in the paint anymore. Let's just mm-hmm. change it. And I don't know. I really love, so take a look at those links. Cause they're really cool. It's really, really cool and empowering stuff. Yeah, I think it's important that we, like, you know, the public is saying, look, we realize that these companies have huge power to track and manipulate us, that they're just the, like, 
apps are designed to keep us distracted. They know what distracts you, you, Caitlin and Terlin, not, not a 30 something year old woman who lives like on the West. No, you like you actually. <laughs> and they yeah. know how to make us angry on purpose. Like there's, there's so many ways when it's like, this is a big responsibility that we need to make sure that these companies are being held accountable for. And I think that movement is a, a call to attention that we can make as the public saying like, look, we need to have more, we need to have more control and, and we need to hold these companies responsible. I think that's a really important conversation. All right, guys. So with these, with these macro things, I think the best thing for us to do is to link all these groups and resources for you. Um, I mean, first, if any of this is tickling you, read the book. Um, there's so much information and so many research studies that Johan goes into that I think all of you would find super enlightening. Um, and if you're feeling overwhelmed, just remember, we can go back to the micro. We can, there are things that we can control. We can look at our sleep, look at our, you know, task switching. We can focus on being in the present moment and finding those moments of stillness and times when our mind can wander. Um, we can start there. It can seem overwhelming, but it is really beautiful and important to start in our homes. So we hope that this is inspired some sort of little brain tickle or um, inspired you to change a couple things. And thanks for joining us. Let's find the magic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you are looking for a great gift for yourself or somebody that you care about, consider getting them a Find the Magic journal. It is a journal that each of us use daily that helps us with questions in the morning that it asks you and that you do a little bit of journaling to help you focus on what's important for the day and really make steps each day towards your goals. And then it also has a section to plan out your day so that things don't slip away from you. And there's even a section for you to reflect at the end of the day. And I have found that as I've used it, it's been so powerful for me in really living my life in an intentional way. So if you'd like a journal, just go to findthemagic.co and click on the top link that says FTM journal. So again, that's findthemagic.co and just click on FTM journal. Thanks so much. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> Brown cows. <laughs>